Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? Welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. Uh, we're recording live on November 5th at, uh, I don't know, 9.53 p.m. Central Time, the only time zone. Uh, I'm Jake Brend, your host. Joining me tonight, the usual suspects, uh, we've got Ben Neeson and Alex Powell reporting to you live from Terre Haute, Indiana and Cedar Falls. But we've also got, uh, drumroll please... <laughs> a film nerd please join us in welcoming the newest survivor of the turbo team podcast welcome to the show alex hansen uh oh no thank you hold your applause <laughs> too late that <laughs> clip already ended yeah, too, late. <laughs> too late oh wait uh. still getting adjusted to the soundboard but anyways alex is the first guest of the show that uh, didn't know two of the co-hosts prior to it. So, uh, that we didn't go to high school with. Yeah, I wasn't beat into the gang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, lucky. That's why you turned out in the gang was beaten to you. <laughs> but anyways, Alex uh, seems like a smart guy, looks like a smart guy, uh, so he'll fit in well here. And for future you know, confusion, you know, he will be smart Alex. guys. <laughs> The name of our the new name of the podcast. Three smart guys. Stop the counting. Stop the counting. Stop the counting. <laughs> uh, so for future reference and confusion, uh, co-host Alex will now be uh, Powell. Just just Powell. Nothing else. PXL. You call him anything else, you're you're kicked off the show. Turn turn off the podcast. <laughs> Wait uh, no. So the guys at work call me Big Al. <laughs> Dude, I'm fucking doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Big, Big Al? Like I don't like it at all. So as much as I'd love to pick Big Al. As much as I'd love to pick Big Al's Al. on Fargo today. Uh, Can I be Little Al? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Bro, We're you're 6'2". Have... Yeah, Alex is way bigger than me. <laughs> I'm 5'10 on a good day, and I got a lot of bad days, man. Uh, We're going to actually switch things up and ask Alex for his top five movies, something we do with all of our guests, but instead of at the end of the show, we're going to do it right now, uh, just to see just see what happens. I, I have no clue. So, Alex, <laughs> if you're ready, uh, take us from five down to one, and if we're not ready, just tell us to screw off. Yeah. Screw off. Oh, off 100%. Alright, podcast. Couldn't help myself. Alright, number five. That one's going to have to be nice, guys. Yeah. Um, Shane Black. I'm certain you guys have seen it. I know Ben's seen it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice oh, guy. Yeah. Love that movie. Um, rewatched it recently, and I just can't get enough of uh, Ryan Gosling in that movie. I mean, it's just so enjoyable. Yeah, you're really like, losing stuff here. I'm typically like, you know, Oscar bait sort of like drama dude. So, you know, but that one's just so enjoyable for me. I had to put that, you know, top five. Number so, four. I'll cut oh. you off. If you haven't listened to any shows prior, uh, it goes around a lot. I don't know why, but everyone thinks I look like Ryan Gosling. I just don't get it. 
Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> oh, dang. It's always a huge uh it's always a huge compliment to me when my movies make uh, make guest top 5 lists. Yeah, exactly. So go on to 4. <laughs> All right. Number 4 is uh Collateral. You guys seen that one? It's Tom Cruise doing John Wick before John Wick was a thing. Oh yeah, I've heard Tom of Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx plays like an OCD cab driver who just picks up, you know, a fare in I think LA. And that fare turns out to be, you know, um, national hitman Tom Cruise. <laughs> Why do you just basically, have those next to you, man? It's I don't know. <laughs> it's like a, it's basically they took a Can't Buy Me Love Me movie mm-hmm. and turned it into an action film because it's literally sociopathic murderer Tom Cruise teaches fucking nerd Jamie Foxx how to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like over the that's his arc he goes from being nerd to cool that's the all with the help of, the of his sociopathic best friend of course you know it's way deeper than that and there's like a ton of like you know symmetry that they use like with coyotes and stuff that i always thought was really interesting something artistic you know imagery in there good so that's number four number three is mother night that's a pretty obscure one i don't know if any of you guys seen that one that was a uh film adapted from the Kurt Vonnegut book about a allied spy in uh during World War II. And basically the the moral of the story is um you must be careful what you pretend to be because in the end we are what we pretend to be and you know you know allied spy basically you know kills himself at the end of the movie cuz he realizes he was a Nazi you know mm. the whole time he was the baddies. <laughs> so basically I am Nazi. <laughs> I am yes. not. <laughs> what? I am not. I am Momkey. I am um, Legend. Oh. I am I blanking am on the actor's name. Nick Nolte. That's it. Um, I mean, I am spoken guy from Mandalorian, but Nick Nolte, really good, I, fantastic movie. Um, number two is Usual Suspects, because mm-hmm. that was like the first. Like I, th- I feel like we all have that film. You know, it's like the first good movie you watch. You know yeah. what I mean? And so it sticks with you. That was Usual Suspects for me. That's what it was like. Oh, man. Movies are good. <laughs> Maybe that's robots. <laughs> Is it robots? Yeah. For me, that was Paul Bart Mall Cop 2. Hey, man. <laughs> Some of us saw that on our first date. <laughs> well, then it must be special. It wasn't. It was a really bad movie. <laughs> in a really short relationship. Uh, hey, six months in eighth grade, man. Impressive oh, that's movie. what? That's like damn. Years. That's yeah. like ten years. In eighth grade years. Yeah. Like you show up <laughs> at high school with a kid. Uh, no, number one. Number one. Uh, Wind River, 2017. Oh wow. Crime uh, thriller with Jeremy Renner and Jeremy Renner. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen. No, I'm a huge Jeremy Renner fan. It's got the Punisher <laughs> in it too. Isn't Minka Kelly in it? Yeah, too? it is. I, I Minka think so. Kelly. Yeah. No, oh, no, but yeah, uh, John Bernthal is in that too. He gets like totally murdered. He gets the, murdered uh, in ten Scarlet minutes. Witch, uh, spinoff, right? Huh? The Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch spinoff, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, they like took a winter break to head he, to Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> the Indian guy in that, like the, I think he's like a security guard. He voices the chief in Red Dead Redemption too. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. It's a fun fact. Oh wait, I, oh you're talking about um you're talking what? about Graham Greene. The dad? No, not the dad. Um the um tribal police. And Wind River? In yeah. Wind River. It's Graham Greene. 
He was probably one of the most successful or famous Native American actors ever. Yeah. He was he was the lead one of the lead actors in Dances with Wolves, that old Kevin Costner movie. I don't know if you guys know it. Yeah. Fantastic. No, Graham Greene is amazing. Is Dances with Wolves good? Oh yeah, it is. I mean, it's literally what inspired a whole arc, you know, and kind of genre of you know characters. Like I, Avatar is just a rip off of Dances with Wolves. I just don't like Kevin Costner. I'm I'll be honest. I'm like <laughs> I'm Kevin, I'm a Kevin That's Costner fair. hater. That's I just fair. don't like any of it. I've never seen a Kevin Costner movie and liked it. Have you it. watched uh, Silverado? No. Okay, that's a Kevin Costner movie you gotta watch. That's my all-time favorite western. Really? Go Silverado, um, <laughs> Unforgiven. Alex's favorite it's... and least favorite things. Like, <laughs> let me let me start fine. Uh, Dance of the Wolves, Bodyguard, The Untouchable. I don't know. I don't you gotta like... give Kevin Costner a try. He's I just don't like face. Kevin Costner. I don't like he's his just, face. You're either. missing out. <laughs> like when he got older, I feel like he has a very boomer, boomer face, very boomer energy. Yeah. Once he did Wyoming, you know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Draft. But day, no, there is some, there is some really good stuff. Wait, you guys are from Iowa. How are? Have you not seen Field of Dreams? Yeah, Field of Dreams sucks. I, I also <laughs> wrong with you. That's Field our Dreams claim to terrible. fame. I gotta a, go out no, to our the claim to fame field. is Slipknot. I'm not a huge. Uh, oh yeah, and that's like third cousin. I'm not a huge sports movie guy. Uh, I have a, I have a hot take that I literally got crucified for at work. I don't think there's any good sports movies. The only one I think that's good is Moneyball. I haven't seen Moneyball. I don't plan on it. Moneyball. Really I agree with you about sports movies. It's like The Social Network, but with Brad Pitt. I just Moneyball oh, is not. God, they're not money. Moneyball is good. Sports movies <laughs> aren't good. I don't think it depicts them like how they actually are. The acting is always really bad. They're always super corny. Like there's no like sports movies aren't good. All right, look, hot take. I'm probably going to get, like, everyone's going to stop listening to you guys because I was such an ass. <laughs> but it's probably because sports movies are catering to a low IQ audience. Very like, true. The people who oh, are 100%. watching sports films are the same <laughs> guys, you know, who are on, the, on their, like, 40th beer, you know, screaming at their family and, ruin, you know, ruining <laughs> Thanksgiving. Jake, what's like, that a guys, football but, show? On Netflix. Mom, shut up. I'm watching All American. <laughs> yeah, All American. Still <laughs> <laughs> you're not. Jesus. But yeah, here in Iowa, all we do is go and watch Field of Dreams and then listen to Slipknot till we go to bed. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes we mix in Bridges of Madison County. I mean, I pray towards Mecca with a picture of uh, Elijah Woods, but that's just me. <laughs> Me and uh, my roommate have been going through the Lord of the Rings trilogy this week, and it's been a blast. I still haven't seen it. I I rewatched that at some point during quarantine. It's amazing. So Alex mentioned, or Powell mentioned, how uh, he doesn't like Kevin Costner's face. But do you know who has a great face? Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I love Steve Buscemi. Sick. And in this movie, too, he is the highlight of this film. Steve Buscemi has an incredible face. He does. But even more He's got so. A funny little face. <laughs> One would say even indescribable. <laughs> What's he look like? He's just got a, he's got a weird face. <laughs> funny looking. Funny looking. So Fargo is directed um, by the Coen Brothers. It's a 1996 film, and it's also directed or not directed, shot by uh, Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins, uh, mm-hmm. also known as Nate Magic, uh, my boy Roger Deakins. Uh, <laughs> it is a. It is a movie that is now right now on Netflix, so I'd highly recommend anyone who hasn't 
seen it, watch it's it. It's also on Prime. Show. Yeah, it is. is on Prime Video too. That's how I watched it. It is starring Francis Dorman, uh, the great Steve Buscemi, William H. Macy, Peter Starmore, just to just to name a few. And Ben is going to take us through his uh, classic and iconic synopsis straight off the dome. Oh, yeah. Off the top and dome. Fargo is a reality based crime drama set in Minnesota in 1987. Jerry Lundegaard is a car salesman in Minneapolis who has gotten himself into debt and is so desperate for money that he hires two thugs to kidnap his own wife. Jerry will collect the ransom from her wealthy father, paying the thugs a small portion and keeping the rest to satisfy his debts. The scheme collapses when the thugs shoot a state trooper and movie ensues. (laughs) Hijinks ensue. (laughs) Movie ensues. Oh, yeah. So before we start with the review, I'm just looking – I would just – I went and looked up the Fargo, like, Wikipedia, like, the Google thing where it has, like, the cast and the Rotten Tomatoes. And I, I went on this spree looking at just all of the Coen Brothers films. All of them get, like, a 94. Like, this has a 94. Yeah, no. No Country for Old Dance has a 94. Blood <laughs> Simple has a 94. What does Old Brother with Arthur have? 77. Oh, what? Raising 77? Arizona, Raising I mean, Arizona has a 91, I, like... The Coen Brothers make very consistent films. <laughs> all right, we can get into the review now. What'd y'all think? I hated it. <laughs> no, like it was it was okay. I and maybe it's just because you know we live so close to Minnesota. I just couldn't get past their accents. I couldn't <laughs> do it. Honestly, that was, that was a they were so annoying. Like there's good acting. There's some really funny stuff. It's, you know, ridiculous. It's violent to almost the level like a Quentin Tarantino film, but like the the accents killed me <laughs> inside every time I listened to them speak. You betcha. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh no. Their accents did sound very condescending to me. Is it's like uh huh, at the point where they just say yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah. Sentences. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh huh. I mean, for consistency, shouldn't we all do that for the review? Oh, God, no. Just, no, we're yeah. Iowans. We don't have I go insane. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was hard to watch. And I think it's because it almost seems kind of insulting because you know how you, you listen to, like, so many British actors? They go into, like, those war movies, and then they try to put on those, like, non-offensive, you know, subtle southern accents. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're like well done accents, you know. They would don't do some offensive, you know. You know I'm from South. You know. <laughs> it's like for some weird reason they decided not to do that for a m- movie in the Midwest. They were like, no, no, just go ham, <laughs> go nuts. Well, it's like the Coen Brothers were kind of they weren't trying to be completely subtle with that. I mean, they're even in the film that we watched for the podcast, Raising Arizona, yeah. that was unabashedly southern. They're from Minnesota, too, so I assume most of the dialogue and stuff they've written is stuff they either grew up hearing or, like, I've at least heard at one point, you know? Yeah. I agree with Alex, though. I did not... I thought the accents took away from the movie, and it was definitely my number one negative. Really? (laughs) But I don't think it took away from the movie that much, like, as much as uh, you're making it seem. So, why is it called Fargo? That might be hyperbole. It takes place in Minnesota. (laughs) Why is what? Why is it called Fargo? It starts off in North Dakota, doesn't it? 
Like That's he, just where they meet. It ends in North Dakota. Yeah, yeah he meets the two in North Dakota. And but then, not in Fargo. So they meet each other. Uh, William H. Macy's character meets Steve Buscemi and his accomplice in Fargo. That's their meeting okay. place where they set this all up. Okay. Wait, we're watching Fargo? I thought we were watching the 2012 Ben Affleck film Argo. <laughs> Someone had to say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I always got those two movies confused forever. When I told someone I was watching Fargo, they said, oh, isn't that with Ben Affleck? And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> Imagine Ben Affleck. Instead of William H. Macy, it's Ben Affleck. <laughs> but, like, Goodwill Hunting Affleck. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, Alex just completely broke all spectrums and all, uh, all tradition on the Turbo Team podcast by going straight for the throat with a negative. Uh, a big what, deal. what positives do you guys have about the film? Because I... I think uh, we've already touched on it, but I thought Steve Buscemi's performance in this yeah. movie was. So I genuinely, I genuinely really love Steve Buscemi in this movie. I thought he was, I thought he was funny. I thought his acting job was really good too. I will say that like sometimes I couldn't get past him being angry because like it's Steve Buscemi and you know that's the guy from Grown Ups One and Grown Ups Two. So <laughs> sometimes it was hard to get past that, yes. but. I, I really love Steve Buscemi in this movie. I thought he was hilarious. I thought he took away the show every scene he was in, and he was really good. Frances uh, McDormand was really good in this, too, even if her role was kind of not as open as Steve Buscemi. I felt I felt her role, like, yeah, honestly, at the end of the day, she didn't really have that. I guess she did catch him at the end, so never mind. I take back what I was going to say. Uh, but I thought, I thought Frances McDormand was really good in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. And William H. Macy was just kind of there, I felt. I think, I said this before we started filming, I think William H. Macy just plays the same character in every movie. Or he's just always, like, kind of a stupid loser. Like, in Shameless, he's a stupid loser. In uh, Boogie Nights, he's a stupid loser. In real life, he's a stupid loser because him and his wife got caught in that, like, scheme where they're, like, paying their kids to go to school. He was definitely just, like, a reflective character in this movie. No, yeah. that's not yeah. reflective reaction. No, I never thought about that before. That's actually that's a really good point. Yeah, like it, was, it just yeah. seemed like everything that was happening was just like happening to him, and he's like, hmm, okay, okay, that. <laughs> oh. that's he had like a little freak out, got frustrated, and then kept trying to dig himself out of the hole by digging a deeper one. Yeah, mm-hmm. he so he took the weird angle, and I know that this is based off a true story, but he took the weird angle of digging himself a deeper hole by just being an idiot. Like most of the time people get super frustrated and scared and then they just say a bunch of things that they shouldn't say. Like he Macy made like whatever his character's name was. His Lund is like uh Ludgard or something. Jerry Lundegard. Yeah. Like, he made completely easy situations like just talking to the to the sheriff at the car dealership. He made those mm-hmm. suspicious when he didn't have to. And I know oh, that, yeah. It's based it, off the true story, and that probably happened in real life, but... I it's actually that was based awesome. off of, like, three different stories combined. Oh, Because okay. I, I watched... I was very confused when I watched the show and the movie, because they both say that at the beginning, you know, out of, you know, respect for yeah. the, the... You know, we, we have done nothing but the truth. And so I was like, is it? Because, like, they're so very different. It's three different incidences, I think, that inspired the movie that they put together, and then... The the show is just like uh, you know anecdotal complete fiction. <laughs> okay, I, uh, sense. 
I really like John Carroll Lynch's character, uh, Norm Gunderson. She was uh, Francis McDonald uh, McDormand's husband. He mm-hmm. coincidentally played the Zodiac killer in mm-hmm. Zodiac. But I really like this character in this. I thought he wasn't on screen much, but when he was, he always brought kind of like the scenes always felt lighter. You know, he always kind of made him happier. He's just a, he's a good husband and. His relationship with uh with Marge was pretty like it was a pretty good relationship. They seemed to really love each other, and I just really like the scenes with uh with those two in it. They always uh because movie was kind of in a way really dark. So when those two were just kind of you know being husband and wife, it always felt a little more lighthearted. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting such a dark movie. I mean, it's a Coen Brothers film, like any Coen Brothers films. Really, I think the even like even raising Arizona was dark, you know. Like he like the, he robbed gas stations like fucking twenty times. Like the, most of their films, although they're like have comedic aspects to them, they're always like really dark, like deep below the surface, you know. A lot of that is masked though by like the humor. <laughs> I love is, yeah, I love the it, Coen Brothers. I think they <laughs> their scripts are always so like out there and they're always hilarious. Mm-hmm. Also, Maybe I'm just missing a couple films, but this one I definitely think like took that up a notch. Because I feel like I definitely got like some sort of like whiplash watching yeah. some of like the parts of this movie because there's like these incredibly awkward scenes, right? Like when Marge is in the diner mm-hmm. with um that Mike. guy. I can't remember his name. Mike. Yes. Mike. <laughs> Mike. And he, you know, it's like a five minute scene meant to do nothing but make the audience cringe. <laughs> right and then there's you know the and then it goes all the way to when she discovers Pierce Mayer, you know in the woods chopping up a dude and it's come like complete silence and it's like almost like a horror thriller for like two minutes mm-hmm. and then you see like the expression on her face and it goes back to like dark comedy yeah right and mm-hmm. so it like immediately jumps to that but there's like a second where it turns almost into like a horror film where like you know She's just like stalking through the woods, and you just see him, you know, yeah. pushing it through the woods. And, and then the end of the movie, for some reason, um, William H Macy, when he cries at the end of the movie, there is something. He did such an amazing job in that scene because there's something so like desperate, you know, and wild in the way he did that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's pathetic. You know, but like still like torturous. Like I feel really bad for him. And you can like just, see, <laughs> you can sort of you know feel all the things that he's going through. You know, the shame. You know, the humiliation. You know, the fear. You know, he knows he's been caught. You know, and he's just lying <laughs> on this bed screaming, and it's it's gut wrenching. And so now, in like the like in the very end of the movie, I've gone from like you know, comedy. You know, violence dark comedy, you know, horror to now just, you know, emotional, you know, trauma. I may point out after watching the two towers this week that he did have the exact scream intonation of Schmeagle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's obviously very dark because this guy with no spine racks up what, like five, six dead bodies just because he can't man up and repay his debts. He's such a beta. It's so We're not even <laughs> He's that. such he's, a beta. He's just not even enough of a man to tell people to, you know, fuck off. <laughs> like the dad gets himself killed 
And he just lets him do it. <laughs> the Virgin Jerry versus the Chad Norm. <laughs> <laughs> he actually reminds me a ton of Jerry from Rick and Morty. Just like the way he is. Ooh, uh, the guy I was watching with today said he called him just grown up. Um, he called him grown up Morty just because he was saying, oh, geez. And just like oh, not geez. wanting to face con people. <laughs> I didn't even think about that either. <laughs> oh, geez. I hated William H. Macy's character. I'll say it. I hated I his character. <laughs> his character sucked. And he had no redeeming qualities. He was a terrible father. He was a terrible husband. He was a beta that had all this debt. He got so many people killed. And then he tried to run away. And then when they caught him, he was screaming like a little baby. So he just, I hated his character, man. Yeah, I, I feel that. Beta male. That's kind of why I couldn't watch the movie in one sitting. Like, I had to take a break because I watched it halfway through because I got through, like, up until about, you know, the beginning of his scheme. And I just realized the main character, I have, like, no reason to root for him. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I'm just watching this, like, crappy person be crappy. I'm like, is that what this movie Try is about? Not- but then, you know, Francis McDormand <laughs> comes in, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Buscemi, you know, gets chased and they steal the show. Yes. But for like that first third, he's just all you, you know, you have. What I think is so funny is William Macy's character. I don't think there's a single good thing in this movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. Not even a terrible guy. Uh, uh, Joker was trying to teach Batman a lesson. uh, (laughs) Like... This guy did absolutely. He sold his wife to kidnappers just so he could make his money back. He let his father-in-law get killed because he was a coward and was afraid to admit to it. He did absolutely nothing right. Still, the dad deserved it. I and mean, we know. Remember, he knocked a hundred dollars off of that car because of the turbo shine on it. <laughs> the turbo time on it. He did that of his own will. Yeah, no, but the the dad. 100% when he died, I was like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you don't fuck with kidnappers. He didn't even pull the, the dad didn't even pull the gun out. He's just like, give me my daughter now. And he just lets Steve Buscemi pull out his gun and shoot him. Yeah. And he doesn't even reach for his yeah, own. Yeah, no, because he just dying wasn't up. thinking. He was like, he, I'm, I'm the man. He's dying on this ground and he's like, maybe I should shoot now. You know? Oh my god, he's like, he was he William misses. H. Macy's Tyler Durden. He was like uh, that guy's, you know, opposite of like I'm the man, and then dies. <laughs> he, uh, William H Macy's character to me is the opposite of what Steve Buscemi's was. Like every time Steve Buscemi's character was on the screen, I was like, like wanted to watch it. Every time <laughs> William H Macy's character was, I was like, get this man out of my face. I don't want to look at him. <laughs> Steve Buscemi's character was funny though, because he's a loser too. Like I'm thinking of a second. It was like date with the guy. escort when he was like, waiter, waiter. He was like, oh, I must be deaf or something. <laughs> Steve Buscemi reminded me of uh, freshmen in college, me trying to talk to football players to be friends with them. <laughs> what? All right, my name is Jake. I write for the Smithsonian or Simpsonian. Not a, not a man of many words, are you? <laughs> What? Look, I'm carrying this conversation here. Okay. When, they, when they were driving in the car and he just wasn't saying a word. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. what, was his, what was that guy's name? Geyer? Grimsmerd? I can't even pronounce his name. He's Swedish. 
he, he always plays some weird Swedish name. Yeah. Like, goes all the way back to, you know, the dude, <laughs> Big Lebowski. He's a funny-looking dude, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when uh when he's with the escort, and then the, the Native American guy just comes in and starts beating him with his own belt. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that was one of the funniest scenes. <laughs> I love that. I was like, shit. <laughs> Guy's like yeah. knocking his like neighbors like knocking on doors like hey man keep it down and he comes out and starts beating the shit out of that guy too. <laughs> and then he, he escorts her running away and he kicks her in the butt and she's running away. Glad right. they included that. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen that? Do you know what the slap is? The old NBC like drama. Yes, I do. Did you ever see like that spoof spoof skit someone did where like so like in the in the slap the guy's like at this party with all these like people all his friends and his kids mm-hmm. and he slaps someone else's kid and someone made a skit where he slaps the kid and then a parent comes up he's like hey you just slapped my kid and then he slaps the parent and he's just slapping everyone up. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that scene reminded me of. <laughs> Alright, nice. <laughs> So, do you guys have any more uh, positives, and, or do you want to get into get a little more deeper into the negatives? Uh, just for a second, the, I thought the cinematography was very creative for literally just a white background, pretty much, with all the snow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's Roger Deakins. What can you really expect? But I just think, like, all the shots uh, where uh, Macy was about... Or not Macy, where uh, Buscemi was about to bury briefcase and it just like hand right and it was just like immense unending farmland with snow on it and then it looks to the left and it's the exact same thing it was very subtle but i also thought it it kind of gave off like the depressing and like i don't know isolating of minnesota and just kind of like the freezing cold north midwest type thing and i thought it was it wasn't like in your face, but it was super subtle and always there. And it almost seemed like kind of I'm thinking of ending things. I don't know if you've seen that, Alex. It's a newer Netflix original. Mm-hmm. I know it, what it is. I haven't seen it. It kind of had that like tone and theme of just like unending like uncomfort. But you yeah. couldn't like place your thumb on what it was. And that's that's what the cinematographer in this movie from Deacons kind of showed me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've touched on all my positives. I thought the story was... Now that I know that it was three different stories kind of in one, it makes more sense. Yeah. How it, how everything worked out, like, so well of a storytelling. Um, Steve Buscemi, so just, that says it all. <laughs> the weird yeah. looking guy. So uh, now the negatives, the scene with the Asian guy sucked, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It sucks. Theory. But I think that's why I don't know if I can count that as a bad though because it's it's very obviously on purpose. Yeah, I mean they're like playing... they did that to <laughs> fuck with the audience. I mean they could be playing into the isolation aspect that you were talking about that the shots are displaying. I mean that's obviously a very isolated character and they're just sh- showing that, putting that on full display. <laughs> and what does the movie end with? But just Norm and Francis McDormand's character just in bed. Just like having a nice moment. Nice. He, uh, the man, Mike lied about his wife, number one, having cancer, and number two, being his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Did you hear what she said? She was like, yeah, he kept harassing her, and she eventually just had to cut ties with him after high school. <laughs> Dude, when he called, when he called Francis McDormand at like 11:30, and he's like, "Hope I'm not bothering you," and she's like, "No, you're fine." And he's like, "Oh, so how you been?" It's like, "Dude, what are you doing, man? You weirdo." <laughs> He's talking. He sees her for the first time in years, and he's talking to her. And he's like, "You mind if I sit on the same side as you?" She's like, "Dude, what are you doing, man? Like, what?" It's man's first Bumble date. <laughs> that was Bumble in 1986. Calling someone you went to high school with at 11:30 at night after not talking to him for 20 years. You'd be a good mom while they're laying in bed, you know, next She's to their husband. Mother. <laughs> Shout out Kyle Koontz, man. Oh, don't <laughs> talk something like that. Survivor of the program. He's a survivor, man. Uh, but yeah, negatives, accent. We already touched on that. I don't really have. Maybe something will. Maybe something. I thought will. the gore was real. I thought the gore was really bad. Like the like whenever someone got shot, it wasn't un- it wasn't believable. When the scene where the guy shoots the trooper in the head and then it zooms in on Steve Buscemi's face and he's got the blood splatter. Like, that's it's, clearly red paint. Like, it, it was very obvious. that. Uh, yeah, like, I don't think, like, the blood, the gunshots... Oh, the scene where Steve Buscemi was shooting the dad, uh, like, a gunshot would go off, but the flash wouldn't, like, the special effects flash wouldn't, and then Steve Buscemi's finger wouldn't be pulling the trigger. Like, the whole, the whole last scene of him just unloading the clip and the dad was out of sync when it comes to, like, special effects... It's really just nitpicky stuff for me. Like, I didn't have any problem with the accents. It was just nitpicky stuff, which seems to be a lot of our negatives nowadays. Uh, Alex, did you have any besides the accents? No. No, that's much it. It was accents and uh, Jerry. (laughs) His existence. (laughs) Just him being in the Just, yeah. (laughs) Dude, if I'm as much of a beta as Jerry, please tell me. Okay. I was at Culver's the other day, and I saw the most beta dude I have ever seen in my entire life. His kid was probably four years old and just walked all over him. I was there for probably 30 minutes with him. How could you tell? Because the kid just, the dad just didn't have control of his kid. His kid was walking around, like, bossing the dad around. It was just That sad. dude was tired, probably. <laughs> I would bet, man. He's, like, brain dead at that point, probably. <laughs> Say, so how did we get to Culver's? <laughs> I don't remember driving. Ben, do you have any negatives? Um, I think that there's a lot of dead space in this film. I mean, obviously, a lot of it's very atmospheric. And they're trying to establish the sleepy nature of northern Midwest. The but there's... Nature. What? It's a good way to put it, the sleepy nature. The Sleepy Joe nature. Sleepy Joe. Yeah, Minnesota's blue. Uh, Minnesota! (laughs) Okay. I I understood that reference. Yeah. (laughs) No, but... Yeah, there are scenes that... For example, there was one where... uh, When Norm made breakfast for... uh, Frances McDormand's character... She... uh, They showed her leaving, going outside to her car coming back in to say that she forgot something. Her car wouldn't start. Or she needed to jump, yeah. Yeah. I think that's just I think that's just a Coen Brothers film though. I think that's just how they write their scripts. I mean, because Burn After Reading kinda has those moments too. Hail Caesar did. Raising Arizona did. I think it's just kind of their dark comedies. 
Uh, okay, yeah. Oh well. But, but I, I agree. aspects I, I, like that doesn't doesn't necessarily work entirely on the second yeah. lit, on the second. They screen. definitely do use that juxtaposition a lot. Yeah, I would agree with sure. you on that. So honestly, though, besides that, I don't really have any negatives or things that I find at fault with the film. There are some things that I don't necessarily understand or think that work all the way. Like, mm-hmm. for one, the music is very grand and epic. Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, it's just like a four-minute intro sequence where they show a car on a snowy road. It's very epic and unnatural for the environment that they're in. Guess but, what the guess what the budget for this film was? Hundred thousand. Eighty thousand. Seven seven million. What? Really? Yeah. Seven yeah. seven million. They must have spent like all of it on cast. I'm guessing that. Where'd it go? Right. Like it's all on the the big you know brand name actors. Six right? million to Got Steve Buscemi. Yeah, well, so. Steve, was Steve were Steve Buscemi and there, William H Macy and Francis McDormand big? Francis McDormand was William H Macy old. was because he was in Mystery Men like right before that. Francis McDormand's married to Joel Cohen anyway, so like I'm sure she would have been. That's why she's in so many Cohen Brothers movies. She works cheap. Yeah, <laughs> for free. No, but uh, <laughs> okay. I, I had something else I was going to say, but I slipped my mind. So this is not a negative or a positive, but one thing I noticed, like, this film was only an hour and 36 minutes. That's what I was about to, yeah. That's really? Right. Which, for a crime thriller, thriller is really short. Like, felt- almost, like, almost every crime thriller movie like this, Murder Mystery, seems to at least be, two in, like, two hours, 15 minutes. So, I don't know, that was refreshing for me, mainly because I watched it at one in the morning, but... <laughs> That's Whoa. an accomplishment. I really liked the. I yeah. really loved the runtime. I thought it. I thought they. I thought they fit in everything they needed to fit in, and you know. I completely agree. Which gets into my conspiracy. Uh, was the movie too short? So they added a creepy, uh, guy from high school. Hmm. That scene, like that five minute scene. Because that was like, five minutes. How much was the phone? How long was the phone call? Probably like three. Yeah, if if this movie was like two hours and twenty minutes, they probably would have cut the dinner scene with Mike. Yeah, because they're like, oh, we're only at like an hour thirty six, might as well just keep it in there. Then it added that scene, that like two minute scene where she's on the phone with her friend. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah, so you're right. I definitely like did seem minutes. kind of tacked on, but you're that's right. A, if they're coming a, in at like an hour and thirty six, yeah. Okay, but, I, I could go on. Time, I thought it. I thought like Ben said, it did kind of add to the aesthetic of like being trapped in the town where you went to high school like yeah if you don't find someone you're calling some chick that you knew 20 years ago and uh ask them to sit on the same side of the booth <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> one uh one aspect that i thought was kind of weird was so so like in so if you watch prisoners so in prisoners like Joel, like, uh, not Joel, uh, what's the main characters, the cop, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is, like, sleepless over this case, like, it's taken up his entire life, compared to this one, where, like, there's a triple homicide, a really mysterious triple homicide in a small town in Minnesota, and I feel like Frances McDormand is just going about her every day, like, it's nothing, you know, like, she's not really taking the case that seriously, which mm-hmm. I thought was weird coming from, like, a, like, a crime drama, you know, like, she, <laughs> like, yeah, it's Minnesota, but, like, 
there's three dead people, man. One of them's a cop. Two of them were passersby. They were executed, essentially. And you're just like, well, I've got to go eat, have Arby's with my husband, Norm. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It was very, uh, very casual to me. It was, it was it wasn't not necessarily a negative. It's kind of weird to see. Did uh did you guys have a favorite scene? Um Yeah, probably. <laughs> right there somewhere. Can you can, can you think <laughs> of it? Yeah. No. When I was watching the movie, I definitely had it in my mind, but then watching the show kind of like screwed me up. Cuz I watched it think it'll come to me. I think if I had to put my finger on it, uh, it would definitely be the. I think it's the initial killings with Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. uh, on the road. Yeah, where because they've got such polarizing light in that scene, you know, because they just do like the hot red, you know, colors against his face, you know, and then they've got the yellows from the car lights, and you know, so it's like very, you know, um, isometric kind of. Yeah, and it's. It, and I don't know why, but that that sort of it, it sort of reminiscent of kind of felt like noir, sort of. Mm-hmm. And so it, it sort of hyped up the tension, and you know it just didn't go his way. And then all of a sudden everything you know goes crazy. And then it's you know a you know, silhouette running out into the darkness, you know, only to be shot by Pierce from Air. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, you- that seems extremely catching, just visually, you know, really ingrained yeah. in my brain. Ben, do you have one? Her favorite scene, I'll have to go with uh, Steve Buscemi when he's getting beaten up <laughs> by the Native American guy. Is his name Shem or something like that? Shep. Shep, yeah. You feel like Shep could have, like, broken him? <laughs> oh, easily, yeah. Well, I mean, he there's that part where he literally just takes the belt and lifts him up and is, like, strangling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that just excels him to be hyper-focused on getting his money and getting out. And that just, like, propels the plot because he's in immediate danger, so he has to pressure others to be into danger. And, like, that's where, like, the climax of the movie takes off. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily my favorite scene, but one that really stuck out to me was the one where Steve Buscemi drives to the airport, steals that person's plates, and then drives out, and he tries to, like, get out of the $4 fine. Guy's like, well, you still got to pay at least the minimum $4. He's, like, insulting the guy. He's like, you think you feel powerful now with your big boss man job? And the guy's just smiling at him the whole time. He throws yeah. the money at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't this know. This is really weird, but um, have any of you guys ever watched the show Frasier? No. Like, I, I, 90s through I've seen, like, 2000s. An spin-off of Cheers. Yeah, right? my dad's a big There's fan. There's an entire 20-minute episode like completely designed around that scene with Steve Buscemi. Really? <laughs> yeah, no. And um, uh, what's the Cuban actor? Um, the statue from Greendale. Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman oh, plays oh. the the toll booth guy. <laughs> and so it's this guy in a beamer just screaming at Luis Guzman, and he's you know pay the four dollars. And so when I watched that scene with Steve Buscemi. I just smiled, one, because it's hilarious, but two, just because it was, like, nostalgic. (laughs) You had to? (laughs) I just had to. There's a community reference on the show. (laughs) No, but Alex took the, or Pal took the words, like, right out of my mouth. That was my favorite scene. Really? 
Yeah. It's like, I don't know. This is a crime thr- thriller that like we've seen before. Uh, bad guy does bad things. Cop hunts him down. A lot of murder, stuff like that. But the most unique scene in the entire movie was that. That didn't really have to be there. Like he could have very easily just gone and stolen the plates from someone. Uh, just at a grocery store and that didn't have to happen. But I thought it was super unique and it just played to like Steve Buscemi's like, I don't know, loser of a character where like yeah. even he couldn't get out of like a four dollar um ticket for getting in and out of a parking garage. I thought it was I thought it was done very well and uh as someone who's been in customer service for like three years now, uh knows the pain of forcing people to pay inconvenience. Mm. Uh if uh if you're listening to this Joe Ripperger from the owner of Sports Page and Brick House, don't charge people for ranch. It causes a lot of awkward conversations. Hope he hope he sees this bro. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my favorite scene too. The the movie has a lot of number one. Steve Buscemi's character reminds me of a guy that thinks he's an alpha, but he isn't because he's kind of like. It reminds me of uh, a. It, it reminds me of the experience we had this uh this summer where uh where Jake was like, oh, man, those guys are a bunch of dorks, and they're like us, but uh but like. What not, would you say? Yeah, they're like, like us, but not cool. And I was like, those guys are dorks, like us, but not cool. And then Brock was like, are we cool? I'm like, no. Yeah, so that's what <laughs> Chevy's character reminds me of is that guy. <laughs> also, yeah, but like I think we kind of like we touched on is like this movie is really weird where like it gets really intense and then there'll be a scene like that Steve Buscemi yelling at the toll booth operator, just like it's nothing yes. like important to the story, but it's just funny and gets away from it like takes your attention away there's a lot of that in raising arizona i feel like too it's, but it's very cone brothers for sure uh you, get, get you guys have anything ratings. else or you want to get into rates no i say we get into ratings quick all right uh alex you're the guest what do you uh what do you give this out of 10 hmm i'm gonna give it like a seven Ooh. that's yeah. fair that's fair okay ben <laughs> I say that's fair and then immediately back it up. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a seven too. A strong seven, not a light seven, mind you. <laughs> well, because, because this is America and we can use decimal points, I'll give it a actual strong seven, a seven point seven five. Don't catch you slipping, huh? Ooh, two two decimal points there. Oh I have gone I've gone one more. Three decimal points the biggest I've gone. <laughs> I'll uh I'll give Deck it an I'll give it an eight point seven five. I really love this movie for some okay, reason. Okay, wow. I thought I thought it was short. I thought it got to the point. I thought all the characters were really funny and interesting. I thought the story moved smoothly. Uh, I thought the setting was really nice. Like I, I'm a bit. I love Minnesota though. It's a really great state. Underrated state. But, Viking Hawk. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's my gamer tag. <laughs> and I think the reason I'm gonna give it like a seven, which I I think is a high rating, even though you know there was so much I didn't like about it, is because. I think it was all very functional. Like the parts that I absolutely hated, I think were designed to be that way. Yeah, you served know, a purpose. I think, yeah, every part of the movie, I felt like I was getting the message they were trying to get across. You know, they made the movie they set out to make. You know, mm-hmm. it works. I, I think there's a little bit in it for everyone, almost too. We're like, <laughs> for the whole like family. uh. Like fans of the programs, the Dikeys, who tend to prefer comedies, I think they this is even a movie they can get behind, you know, because there's enough comedic elements in it, you know, and there's enough like drama in it, and there's enough like interesting characters. It's got a little bit of every uh, something for everyone, you know. So, 
That does it for the rates. You guys want to get into Fargo, the TV show? Yeah, we'll do this quick, Absolutely. firing through. Um, yes. Each of us will be covering one of the seasons of the four seasons of the anthology series Fargo. So Great. were we supposed to watch the whole season? I thought we just agreed on one episode. We did, but Alex uh, went above and beyond for that one. <laughs> so, so Alex's will be more in-depth than the rest of ours, which is okay. Yeah, I'll start out with, because uh, I watched the first episode, the pilot of the pilot, first episode of the first season. Uh, I thought it was good. It definitely wasn't the same as the movie, but I thought it was pretty good and intriguing. Like, I want to go back and watch it. It has more kind of a similar feel to Barry, where it's more of like a kind of just like a hitman comedy with less emphasis on the comedy. Yeah. But the sorry, I'll have to look it up. Uh, who the main character Martin is? Freeman. Yeah, he he honestly reminds me a lot of Jerry from from the original Fargo, where he just kind of like seems like this loser guy. <laughs> and his wife said that he doesn't that she doesn't enjoy sex, so he killed her. <laughs> that's a very beta move right there. So I thought that that's the so that's the show. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the plot of the first <laughs> episode of the first season. And I'm sure it goes deeper than that, but I it intrigued me enough to want to watch more episodes. So uh, that's about as much of a review as I can get. It has a lot of the same elements of the movie where it is that. Uh, northern Midwest kind of just isolation feel and it even more so kind of capitalizes on the dinner scene of Mike and uh, uh, Francis but it like it's directly involved with the plot of the first episode so like the uh, the main character comes across the guy who bullied him in high school and the guy who always beat him up when he was in high school and then he pretty much bullies him again in front of his kids which inspires him to hire a hitman for him so <laughs> like it's almost centered completely around like just being stuck in your hometown 20 years later hiring a hitman on your bully which i think is a pretty it's a pretty uh interesting plot for a tv show do the coen brothers have anything to do with the tv show or is it completely independent i don't believe so i think it's independent okay yeah, because uh, I, I think there's some different director involved. So do we want to go in chronological order then? That was season one. Do we I would love to. Oh wait, no, they they executive produced. It. They did. Okay. Well, I mean, however much you count that. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's go ahead because and, uh, touch on the pilot. They created like an original show. Like it's completely different. You know, it is mm-hmm. completely different. But they get people into the show with these like similar motifs and you know is it kind of like american horror story it's it's like watching like kind of like a weird mirror you know image of the movie okay um i haven't seen american horror story so i couldn't tell you okay um but it because there's so much of it that reflects the movie but somehow in they use it differently in the show Mm. you know and I love it. It was the same way that um, if any of you guys have any of you guys watched the Watchmen show HBO. I want to. I heard it's good though. They take so much of that sort of like ori- those original ideas that they start with, and they use them in different ways to create a completely new narrative. You okay. know, so you're you're grounded, you know, in the background, and it connects, you know, seamlessly 
with the original, you know, story that we're all familiar with, but it allows them to go off and create a totally new story. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. And I thought they did a beautiful job on that. In the pilot. Uh, so Alex, you want to get into season two then? I did not watch season two. Oh, I skipped straight to. I skipped straight to season four. I was so excited for Timothy Olsen. Oh, all right. Anyone do season two? No. Right. I, I can read the I can read the Wikipedia of it. Yeah, no, we'll just not cover it. Season two, if no. it's anything like True Detective, season two sucks. The star oh, of it yeah. is Kirsten Dunst. So yeah. take oh, that. Season two. I talked. Oh, it has to, Kieran Culkin in it though. Now I love it. I talked to Nate Magic today, and he said season two is not very good. Okay, he, so it is exactly like season two of True Detective. So we can skip over it. Uh, ben, you want Farrell in it? Season two. Yeah. yeah, Colin Farrell is the only dude. Season two of True Detective is awful. I I couldn't even finish it. It's so bad. <laughs> but yeah, it does have Colin Farrell, and he is pretty good in it. But it also has Vince Vaughn, who isn't very good in it. So, <laughs> uh, Ben, you uh you watched season three? I did. Uh, season three stars Ewan McGregor as two different characters. He plays nice. two brothers. Nice. I know, right? Awesome. Uh, as well as Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, uh, David Thaluis, and one of the thieves from uh, Killing Them Softly. I can't think of his name right now. <laughs> it's good thing Google exists. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm doing right now. Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, no, not him. Uh, Scott McNary. Is Scott, you mean Scoot McNary? Oh, yeah, Scoot. I don't know what I'm He's in about. season three of True Detective. Nice. All right, yeah, so <laughs> you want to uh, get into what it's about? Yeah, um, it's about... Uh, well, obviously, I mentioned earlier there are two brothers. Um, one of them that Ewan McGregor plays is a probation officer, and his girlfriend, who is his pa- parolee, is played by Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, um, are both gamblers, and they're trying to make a name for themselves in like, the gambling racket at local casinos. And to fund that, they try to steal a stamp from a vintage stamp from his older brother, also played by Ewan McGregor who's very successful, has his own business, uh, and is very successful with that. But the two stories follow both the brothers as one of them, the parole officer, has to hide his involvement in two deaths. Um, and the other brother has to deal with um, a corporation that he took a shady loan from uh, two years ago. And now the company is returned and want him to do some shady dealings for them. So right. it's just the involvement of those two. What did you think of it? I obviously I thought it was super interesting, mostly because I'm a fan of Ewan McGregor. I am enjoying him, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he does very right. well in playing both of the characters in just the single, uh, first episode alone. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I was coming fresh off of the movie, so expecting a sort of, well, I don't know. Fargo, I'm not going to say the Fargo movie has a specific pace, but probably that's just because this is episode one of eight episodes within a TV season, while Fargo was a two-hour movie that story ended up and finished within two hours, while this is just an hour long of eight hours of a TV show. Yeah. But, I mean, from beginning on, I was pretty interested in it. I don't know if I'll be able to go back and finish it all. But I'll definitely be watching at least an episode or two to see where it goes because the dynamic between Ewan and Ewan is very interesting. And yeah, it seems like a solid shot for a television show. 
Awesome. So, me and Alex both watched season four. Alex watched all like the whole thing, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then I watched the first episode. So I'll give my initial views, and then you can go in a little in-depth. Is that okay? Right. So good. I watched season four. It's basically about – you can correct me if I get if I get it wrong, too. So it's about – so Chris Rock is uh, the main guy, which is interesting to see. I, going into it, I knew he was going to be the main lead this, throughout the season. I was kind of – I wasn't really looking forward to it because he's – like – like so there's there's certain guys where like you see him in so many comedies it's hard to see him in like dramatic roles and I thought Chris Rock was gonna be that also because he has such a comedic like voice too like if you, I hear his voice I think of the zebra <laughs> from Madagascar you know like, <laughs> uh, so but he, he was really good the few uh in the, this one episode I he, very convincing character I didn't like I didn't feel like I was watching Chris Rock you know I felt like I was actually watching like a well written character with a good acting job. Uh, but it's basically about like these families, like the Italians and then the African Americans are like the two like gangs or families running this like I think it's Kansas City is where it takes place, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and so it's kind of their dynamic. And in the first episode, the mob boss of the Italians dies, and uh, the person that kills him, well, he's shot in the neck, and the person that kills him is the main female lead from uh, I'm thinking of ending things. I forgot her name. Jesse Buckley. She, uh, is it the woman. Yeah, yeah, Jesse Buckley. She uh, so she kind of plays an antagonist in it. It kind of ends there where she kills him off, and then it kind of ends there. And so you're not really sure where she plays whole in the whole plot. This is from the first episode. I'm sure Alex will go more in depth on this. Uh, and then he dies, and then I think the next in line is his son, which is played by Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Which uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see Jason Jason Schwartzman in such kind of a serious role. I don't know if it's supposed to be serious. I couldn't take him seriously. He felt he felt kind of like uh, he felt kind of like a, almost like a Lord Farquaad kind of feel to him, where he's like supposed to be this big ruler, but he's like a short guy, and no one really takes him that seriously. Yeah. So he I played actually, the kind of, douchey like air. Very yeah, well, I think you know so the douchey crime air, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's kind of what it felt like to me. And then his brothers, like his brothers, Irish, because they like stole him from the Irish when the Italians killed off all the Irish. It's really, it's kind of confusing. I'm sure Alex will get more into it, but mm-hmm. I thought it was really well. My biggest negative was with it was it takes place. When does it take place? Is it like the 60s? Uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's 60s. It's like the, I think it might go into yeah, no, I think you're right. 60s, maybe 70s. 60s, 70s. So it's like really early, like long time ago, Kansas City. It didn't feel like that to me. It felt almost like this was like they just put a couple old timey cars and dressed people up a certain way and just filmed it. Like the environment didn't feel like it was that old, which I I don't know why it felt like that to me. There's have you ever seen like a bad like period piece? That's almost what it was like. Was just you know like it didn't look like they really put that much. Uh, money or attention in the environment. That's just what it felt like to me. Uh, it's 1950. I, 1950? Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, didn't, it didn't feel like the 50s to me. It felt like they were shooting this in, you know, 2018 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Uh, Alex might have a different opinion, but I thought it was still interesting. There's a nice mob kind of aspect to it that caught my attention. There's a whole subplot with, like, this African-American girl and her family. I'm not really sure how that ties in, but... I, I'll definitely finish it. I'll probably finish the series. I'll probably watch all the series, too. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, a lot of attention. So, Alex, do you want to get more into it now? Mm-hmm. Season 4? Right. I love the pilot. I think they did a really good job at launching each of the, like, you know, anthologies. You know, they start off on really strong, you know, first steps. 
Um, like what you're saying about it being, you know, you can tell it's, you know, 2018. That gave me sort of the same impression that I had from watching the film, where it's, I, you know, it gave me the impression of, you know, being in a carnival, um, you know, photo booth. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. very fake, very corny, but it's supposed to be that way. You know, it has purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's because it is also sort of, they use the phrase, it's a lens in which we're sort of, you know, evaluating the past because the entire first episode is about. Um, minorities coming up in America, and you know this that subplot he's talking about with um, the girl is her giving a report about you know the American melting pot, you know about you know what is American, and so it starts off with how it, the Jews came over to America in like the 19 you know 20s and took over this neighborhood, you know, and they were the outcasts, you know, by you know Americans, and they were the hated. And then along came the Irish, and they took over, you know. Mm. And then, you know, after the Irish came the Italians, and the Italians took over. And now now it's after the Italians, you know, the the black community, you know, the black crime family is taking over, and it's their turn, you know. And there's a really good quote that Chris Rock has when he's talking to the Italian Mafia Don because the Italians are being incredibly racist to them. And he says, you know, the people, you know, you you think you're American because you're stepping on my neck. But, you know, the same people, you know, who, you know, threw us into the ghettos are the same ones, you know, not letting you, you know, in their restaurants and their churches. You know, I see the signs up on the streets and they say no Italians too, you know. And it's all these, you know, people who were outcast fighting for essentially the bottom you know yeah and it's really it's a very interesting you know way to view view those sorts of race relations in you know america which is not what i expect to get out of you know the fargo the television show i was expecting you know season one lester you know all four (laughs) seasons of that but i was very welcomely surprised and the rest of the season follows you know chris rock and his struggles you know to maintain you know his balance and keep you know his people you know successful and fed you know and dealing with all sorts of problems my you know the man timothy oliphant does show up (laughs) i get to watch him i'm a huge justified fan so i I geek out anytime i anytime (laughs) i see you know timothy oliphant so i was just glad he shows up for a couple episodes get to enjoy that but it was it was really good I don't want to spoil it because I really hope you guys watch it, but it is worth it. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you for coming on, Alex. Yeah, uh, no problem. Yeah. My pleasure. Had a lot of uh, great discussions. You are now the newest survivor of the Turbo Team podcast. You made it all the way to the end. Nice. About an hour. Did it, guys? Yeah. One of these days, someone's just gonna die in the middle of the podcast, and then they don't get to be a survivor of the podcast. <laughs> oh man, so and great. I'm gonna, get, <laughs> I'm gonna get maybe four hours of sleep tonight, guys. It's gonna be great. Oh wow. There you go. That sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Why is that? <laughs> yeah. uh, four o'clock shift. Where do you work? I work at a warehouse down Waterloo. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. So I get to be up at 3. 
Rip yeah. the homie, man. Well, we don't want to keep you any second. Yeah, we'll wrap this up. <laughs> we want to thank all of our incredible um, listeners to tuning into this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. I think today was 30. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, if so, 30 is a pretty cool milestone. Uh, but other than that, uh, as uh, Steve Buscemi would say, uh, thanks for listening to the Turbo Team Podcast. That's oh, it is 30. It is 30, you're right. The Turbo Team Podcast. Called it on the dot. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.